So reading between the lines there, what I'm what I'm hearing you say, Matt, is that when the credits rolled on Halloween Kills, you weren't dying for Halloween Ends. No, no. Halloween Kills is up there, too. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Bold take. <laughs> no, no. If Severance is the one of the best things we've ever talked about, Halloween Kills is the worst. <laughs> oh, you guys didn't know that Anthony Michael Hall is going to be coming into season two? What? Oh, shit. I'm not watching it. <laughs> As Tommy, like they're bringing oh, in Tommy. <laughs> oh, wow, he got severed right after Michael bashed his head in. <laughs> Lumen <laughs> saved him. <laughs> Michael C. Hall might need to get severed as an actor to forget how bad he is at that job. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Arnie's. We are three guys trapped in the break room with nothing better to do. I'm Matt Johnson, and I would get lost and probably die in the maze that is the severed floor. I'm Keith Baker, and reading Rickon's book changed my life for the better. And I'm Austin Terry, and I would never participate in an egg bar social. I don't think any of us would. That really made me feel uncomfortable. (laughs) On today's show, (laughs) we'll be talking about the show everyone seems to be talking about, Severance, which hit streaming this past February on Apple TV Plus and delivered a wild-as-hell nine episodes. Dan Erickson, Ben Stiller, and Aoife McArdle came together to give us a strange combination of a drama, psychological thriller, horror show at times, satirical workplace comedy. It takes place in a world where you can have a procedure done that will separate your workplace and non-workplace life. So basically, you go to work and do your nine to five, and that's one life. And then you go home and everything outside of work is a separate life entirely. This may sound pretty ideal for the non-work life, but when you're the one trapped inside an office for the foreseeable future, it gets a little scary. The show equally entertains as often as it asks questions and left us waiting week to week. I have so much more I want to say, but Austin and Keith, how about you hit me with your non-spoiler thoughts on Severance? Yeah, I'm glad we're doing Severance this week because we're coming off of Morbius, which just left a terrible taste in my mouth. But I think Severance is the best new show to come out this year. Um, It surprised me week in and week out. It made me, I went into this show being like, man, being able to separate your work and your personal life seems really cool. And it took that idea and really made it something scary, which I wasn't expecting from this show. Um, So it continued to surprise me. I think it's done a great job every week of having a twist that leaves you hanging. And they've also done a great job of slowly unveiling the mystery and not giving you all the answers and keeping you interested week in and week out. And kind of like when we covered Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind with Jim Carrey, it's really fun to see Adam Scott, who's traditionally a comedic actor, do kind of a more serious role and do something different for his career. So every aspect of the show I have loved, and I absolutely can't wait for season two. Uh, Yeah, I'm with you, Austin. I think Severance kept me on the edge of my seat the entire time, like you said. But by the end of the season, I was just left wanting way more. Well, actually, it was funny because I think yesterday we were talking or we texting back and forth and I was like, yeah, I just finished season one. And then you guys were like, there's one more episode left. I was like, what? Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I thought the second last episode left, left us on a cliffhanger. That would have been quite the finale. And as well. I was like, wow, that was a cool finale. Then you texted me, we had one more episode left. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> and so as soon as I got home, I went, I went and watched it to see what happens. And then, and then we were still left on a cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so cool. The characters are cool. The whole idea of you wiping your mind as you go to work and then your mind is wiped again as you go back into your personal life. And you have like these two different characters within the same body. It's just really, really cool sci- sci-fi kind of deal. So yeah, I'm just looking forward to getting, getting back into it next year. I'm right there with you guys. I thought this show was just fantastic. It was so good. I think Apple TV Plus, not enough people are talking about, but 
I don't know. I mean, you think about stuff like Netflix, HBO Max, even Amazon Prime, but at least recently, maybe since COVID or at the very least, like the last couple of years, Apple TV Plus is putting out consistently fantastic content, both movies and TV. So I can't wait to see what else they do. Um, as for Severance, I loved it. Didn't really know what to expect going into it. I knew Ben Stiller was involved. I knew Adam Scott was involved. And I know they've both done comedy and drama. So I was like, I don't know what this is going to be. And it turned out to be something that I'm not going to stop thinking about for like for the foreseeable future. I mean, you're so right, Keith. The premise itself is so good. And I feel like we probably joked about it on the podcast before. But Keith and I have like a certain affinity for like the Philip K. Dick adapted story uh, paycheck with Ben Affleck, which is it honestly starts out pretty similar. It's about like in a future where you can separate your work and your non-work life. And then the work version of the character gets in trouble and he's being targeted or whatever. But this was so good. And it honestly watching season one all the way through made me realize that we might be getting spoiled on other streaming services because I've always been the person that's like, I don't know, just put it all out now. Why not? Like, just give us something to binge and let's go for it. And I always watch all that's there and I'm like, yeah, that was really good. Really liked it. We've talked about lots of those kinds of shows on the podcast, whether it be Midnight Mass or I don't know, anything. And watching Severance week to week really gave me that feel when I was like younger with shows that really kind of hit you with a great hour of content and then forced you to sit with it for a week. And I am so glad, probably the best thing I can say is I'm so glad Severance was a week to week show. Like the fact that I had to watch one episode and then, oh my God, I can't stop thinking about it. And then it's like, oh, I can't wait. <laughs> and then it comes out and it's somehow even better. God, what a good show. And the fact that the last two episodes, particularly the finale, hit the way they did, I don't know, man. Maybe I'm getting a little bit too ahead of myself, but the fact that this one ended in a cliffhanger makes me think they have a plan for like future seasons. It's not just like, oh shit, people really like season one of Severance. Uh, Let's come up with something to do for season two. No, they clearly had a plan, and I can't wait. This is a show to watch. I loved it. 10 out of 10. I think they definitely have a plan because... They made a really bold choice, I thought, and didn't give us any answers this season. All the questions I have, I don't have the answers to about the show. That's something a lot of shows don't do today. I think in the Netflix like binging environment, they really want to nail season to season. So they wrap everything up cohesively, and then they decide to do a second season and expand the world. And with this show, you can tell that they want to give all the answers, but they want to take their time to do it. And I think they did a great job in this first season of like, really establishing the world and like what you're living in and just taking you slowly through their work days. Like I feel like I know their entire work day from this show. And that's because we spent so much time in the office with them. And I think the fact that we don't have any answers like really excites me and I can't wait for the show to return with the mystery next season. Yeah. And while it doesn't give all the answers, I would say the show was always satisfying. Like every time I went into an episode, I was like, okay, well, based on what they set up at the end of the last episode, they're probably going to tackle X subject or Y subject. And then sometimes they would, but sometimes they wouldn't. And then by the time the credits rolled on the finale, I was kind of with you, Austin, where I was like, okay, they gave me a lot of what I wanted and some answers, some smaller answers that I wasn't expecting. But then there's a lot like concerned with the bigger world that I have no idea about. So it's like, okay, I guess we've got to strap in and wait for the future of this show. Yeah. I think it's something you said, Austin, like 
like they didn't reveal all the answers that you were of the things that you were questioning the entire time, but like the way they they build those questions is really cool. And I don't think it's spoiling to say that when I was first going into it, I thought it was going to mo- mostly focus just on like Adam Scott's character, but then the fact that they introduced four or five, maybe six more characters throughout the show, I was like, okay, this is actually more revealing than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, and I'm really glad they introduced all the other characters because I think Adam Scott is great in the show, but I think his character is the least interesting character in the show. I'm way more interested in the side characters, and I think that's just a testament to all their performances. I still think Adam Scott is great, but I think all the other characters just have a lot more interesting things to do in season one of the show. Personally, I disagree, but I can't wait to talk about the characters because I love them all. So I'll, I'll just spoil it for now. I This might be the hardest it's ever been whenever we get to the cast and crew segment. Like who I want to shout out, I have no idea. I want to shout them all out because they're so good. Um, <laughs> the last thing I wanted to say, non-spoiler though, is uh, it kind of ties into my talk about, you know, I'm so glad that this show was week to week instead of being, all right, Severance season one, binge it all now on Apple TV+. Plus. Watching the show really made me go, wow, I've, I've watched a lot of great content TV-wise, especially over the last few years, but watching this really kind of reminded me of watching the first, I don't know, four seasons of Game of Thrones. I was going to say Lost. Yeah, the first two and a half seasons of The Walking Dead, all of Breaking Bad, the first half and a little bit of lost. And what I mean by that is everything I just mentioned, I was dying when the credits rolled. Like I could not wait another week. And even though like even on this podcast the last couple of years, we've talked about a bunch of TV shows that I really enjoyed. But this is the first that I was like, I, I couldn't wait like a week to watch the next episode. So I think Severance really deserves extra praise because with the writing and the way they told the story, it's like, it just, you were begging to find out what happened next. And is it like a favorite show of all time? I can't say that yet because it's only one season, but it is up there in terms of like, man, they really found great ways to do cliffhangers, tell the story. They always kept you wanting more while giving you answers. So yeah, cannot recommend the show enough. All right, everybody. So those are non-spoiler thoughts on Severance season one. Sounds like we all without question recommend it. So if you've not started this one yet, go check it out. I think you're going to love it. Um, but with that, it's time to get a little bit deeper. So we are dropping the spoiler warning. So if you have not watched Severance, please, this is your last chance. Go check it out on Apple TV Plus and come on back because we'll be here for you. It's time to get into spoilers. Austin and Keith, let's get into the cast and crew. What you got for me? All right, so Sevens is created by Dan Erickson, and this is actually Erickson's first ever credit, writing-wise. Um, this is the first thing he's done, like, professionally. The pilot for his script was actually the first TV show to ever be recognized by The Bloodlist, which is, like, a list of dark scripts that are voted on by Hollywood as, like, something that they really want to see get made. Um, his script was actually submitted to Red Hour Productions and passed to Ben Stiller directly by his development executive, Jackie Cohn. Um, it's great to see that Erickson still retained his creator's credit, though, despite despite someone as big as Ben Stiller getting involved. So true. I was surprised to see that. Like, literally, the show has the created by credit for Dan Erickson, and this is like his only credit on IMDb. So very cool that he got to keep that. I did see he did uh, uncredited write some episodes of Lip Sync Battle. Just that's, Probably better, honestly. That's the bulk that, of his that's work. That's better than this. <laughs> 
As for our directors, three episodes of the show were directed by Ethan McArdle, who is a famous commercial and music video director, and then the remaining six of the first season were directed by Ben Stiller, who we all know from, of course, Zoolander, Tropic Thunder, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Our score is composed by Theodore Shapiro, who you may know from Wet Heart American Summer, 13 Going on 30, and Tropic Thunder. Going into our cast, we have our Parks and Rec own Adam Scott as Mark, Britt Lower as Helly, John Turturro as Irving, Zach Cherry as Dylan, Tramel Tillman as Mr. Milchick, Jen Tulloch as Devin, Michael Chernis as Rickon, and we got the great Christopher Walken as Bert, and the great Patricia Arquette as Harmony Cobell slash Mrs. Selvig. All right, guys, there's our cast and crew. Any positives, any negatives, what do we got? I think I got to give two highlights. Uh, my first highlight is going to be for the score. I think the score of the show is fantastic and really set the tone. The way they have that like uh, recurring piano theme throughout the show every time they're at the workplace like really worked for me and just kind of made me, it really puts you like in the zone for the show. Then my other highlight, I think I got to give it to Tremel Tillman as oh! Mr. Milchek. Oh, he was mine. I love this guy in <laughs> this show. Did. He's such a good like just a villain that's smiling at you. Like I still, even though I've seen him be evil in the show, I still kind of want him to be my boss because he's so like relentlessly <laughs> positive. I love Mr. Milchuk in the show. I hope he, I hope he survives. <laughs> that dancing scene is my favorite scene to come out this year. I loved it. <laughs> it was so good. All right. So, I mean, first and foremost, I think our two directors here that helmed all the episodes, uh, Aoife McArdle and Ben Stiller, the, the direction I thought was impeccable. Just the way the show looked, the way it was put together. Everything was so good. So shout out to them. As for the cast, like I said at the beginning, I think this is like genuinely the hardest it's ever been to pick a positive. Part of me doesn't want to pick the easy one, but I think I'm going to just for the sake of conversation. I'll go with Adam Scott. I know Austin mentioned at the beginning that maybe Mark isn't the most interesting character compared to everybody else, but just talking about performance, there was something about the way Adam Scott in particular. I think because we spent more time with his Innie and more time with his Audi compared to everybody else, the way he transitioned in between was like kind of haunting at times. Like the way he could be so highly emotional with something going on while at work and then just like gets in the elevator and he just goes completely deadpan and it's time to go home and just he's two different people. And if he hadn't performed it that way, then not only would the show not have worked, but the whole premise would have fallen apart. The whole like severance thing. I mean, he's this depressed guy on the outside that's trying to grieve and move on. And then at work, I don't know, he's kind of oblivious, but he's trying to do the right things. It's it's a weird balance to play. And I think, I yeah, I mean, I love Adam Scott. I, I've loved him in everything I've seen. But I, I did going into it, I was like, oh, OK, that's cool. But he knocked it out of the park. I mean, this was an awards worthy performance to me. I thought he was incredible. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I think this is the most challenging role I've ever seen Adam Scott do. And I think where you really see like the two different people aspect is in the finale when he has to be oh his Audi at the party and then switch to his Innie at the same party and interact yeah. with the same characters. And I thought that was fantastic. And like I said, I have no issues with Adam Scott in this role. I just think for most of the show, Mark is a passenger. Yeah. And all true. the other characters are like actually driving the train of, of solving the mystery. Yeah, there's really no negatives here. But if I'm going to shout out anybody, I'll shout out John Turturro as mm -hmm. Irving. A good call. I, I thought his character was really cool. 
And while we did not get a lot of his any to begin with, you can kind of see the kind of underlying aftermath of his life as an Audi kind of bleeding in to his life as an any. We get some kind of like schizophrenic type hallucinations from him. He's sleepy all the time, so you know his Audi's not sleeping that much. So that's kind of that's kind of cool how he kind of played that, where you don't what you just shouted out with Adam Scott, he, you get to see him transform as his Audi and then to his any playing two different people. But it's kind of cool to watch um, this guy's Audi uh, slowly kind of bleed into his life as an any. So that was that was fun to watch. And then, like I said, everybody else is also awesome in this: Christopher Walken, Patricia Arquette, uh, Zach Cherry as Dylan, all really cool. I think, too, with Irving, you get one of the most interesting on-screen relationships I've seen in a while between him and Bert. The dynamic of how that works with them being innies and kind of developing a relationship was so fascinating to me. And then when Bert gets retired, I felt so bad for Irving's character, too. Absolutely. And it kind of ties into, in a weird way, I guess, I don't know how you guys felt, but week to week, it didn't really occur to me until later that we were watching two relationships form because we're watching Irving and Bert come together. But also we have this weird kind of at first antagonistic pairing, but then there's an understanding that comes between Mark and Helly. So by the end, we have like kind of two solid relationships and it makes you feel really bad because the innies have feelings and they deserve to, you know, fall in love and feel that love for people. But then we think about where Mark and Helly are on the outside and they have none of that for each other. And it's all the more tragic watching Irving in the finale try and, you know, I mean, he wakes up as a zinny and he goes to Bert's house and it's just, oh, you know, he retired and has his own life. And I trust him. I want his help, but he's not going to even know who I am. So they did a really good job of kind of building up the any relationships and showing that on the outside, in a kind of fucked up way, they don't really mean anything. I also read that apparently John Turturro recommended Christopher Walken to play Bert because he was just like, he and I are already good friends. I don't really want to, we don't need to act like we're friends. So you can get Christopher Walken, go for it. And they did, which is crazy, guys. We're getting Christopher Walken level of actors and actresses on streaming shows. This is, we're in a new age, truly. I love it. <laughs> He's like the 15th billing of the show. Yeah, <laughs> and he's, he's so good. Randomly pushing a cart around every now and then. <laughs> he kind of plays his character from, uh, you ever seen the movie Click with Adam Sandler? He kind of plays <laughs> yeah, his, a little be- bit, yeah. his Bed Bath & Beyond and Way Beyond character. He's like, you want to see something over here? <laughs> Ooh, a little Christopher Walken impression. <laughs> Come on over. <laughs> Come on over. <laughs> All right. Well, clearly the three of us are chomping at the bit. We have lots to say about this show. So let's go ahead and just open it up. It's time to dive a little deeper. Let's get in to the lower floors of Lumen Industries. Let's break out our freeform discussion. I'll start us off, guys, um, with a little quick opener. Now that we have seen all of season one and we understand just a little bit about how severance works as a procedure, I just wanted to pose the question, would you guys get severed? I would maybe like sever like certain things. If I know I have to make like a, a tough phone call to like a client or something like that, and be like, I'll just sever that one conversation, but not like a whole day's worth of work where I'm losing out on just basic life, the experience of life. That would just be weird to lose eight hours of your day. Mm-hmm. I'm totally with Keith. I would sever certain days or like doing like a mundane drive. Like I would just use it sporadically to just like 
kind of fast forward in time a little bit, but I don't think I would do it for a whole like half of my life. And that was, I mean, that's kind of like a random tangent we can go on, but that was one of the more surprising things about the show to me. Because I really was like, oh, okay, so yeah, severance is just for work and like the work-life balance, if you want to call it that. And that's because that's what the show, that's how they presented it to us. Like, that's the only thing they ever talked about that, that it was for. So I was like, okay, that's the only example of it. But then as the show goes on and we see uh, uh, Mark's sister, like, you know, delivering her baby, and then she just happens to run into a senator's wife who... I guess in the finale, we see her again. So maybe she's part of the board of Lumen. But either way, I think the implication there, unless I read it wrong, is that she severed her pregnancy so that she was able to go through that entirely and forget it. So it's like people were severing not necessarily their work and non-work life balance, but just, you know, things that they didn't want to have to deal with. And it's like, oh, so now you're kind of making me rethink it because I've watched like six episodes of this show and I would never sever. God, I would never do that to my innie. But it's like, oh shit, if something comes up and it's like, maybe I don't want to deal with that. Maybe that's not such a bad idea. So it is kind of interesting. But now let's get into some general thoughts to open things up to the broader show. So are there any standout points about the season that we haven't already mentioned? Kind of just general thoughts. What do you guys want to bring up about this show? Yeah, I really wanted to mention the like atmosphere that they established with the show, because I, I feel like this first season was very atmospheric. It's very slow. It definitely takes its time with all its characters and the story it wants to unveil to you. But I think the way like they choose to light the offices that they're working in, paired with that great score that we talked about, really sets this great kind of like melancholy tone for the entire first season. You know what I, what I kind of compared it to when I was first watching it was like Black Mirror. Kind of give me that vibe, but like in a in a long form. Yeah. As for the atmosphere, it was it was strange in a good way because I mean, watching the first episodes where you hear about what severance is, what this process is, and in a weird way, I guess you expect these people to go to work and it to be this really cushy thing, to be like really fancy, really elegant, because that's what you would want if you're gonna you know freaking like sever your entire mind from your non-work life um and then whenever you walk in and it's just like this really old shitty looking room where four people are basically sitting back to back (laughs) doing work in an office it's like oh okay never mind i guess this is the more realistic take on it well and because you're an any you wouldn't know what like a nice office is so for you it's like this is this is all i need so the people making it can kind of get away with "Eh, who cares just make it shitty and simple because they're not going to know any different. So kind of works out for them. But then the way that atmosphere kind of permeates through the rest of the severed floor in particular, where at first it just kind of seems like a purposeful, confusing, maze-like area where it's just the hallways look the exact same. And then the reveal that it basically is a maze. And it's like, huh, that's a weird strange element like they literally need a map to kind of get around these floors and it's like huh and then kind of comparing that just to the atmosphere of the outside room like you talked about Austin, you love the atmosphere because it's like wow okay well i guess now that we've seen the severed people like where they work obviously their outside life is going to be much different because why would they do this and then you go home with mark and he's living in a fucking like lumen subsidized living space so it's like he can never quite get away no matter what he's doing so it's like huh okay 
And then, of course, he's living next door to his boss. So it's like, what a weird, strange, like, honestly, haunting atmosphere that only gets even creepier when you have somebody like Petey in the first couple episodes that previously worked with Mark, who's now reintegrating and is telling him all these things, and he, like, doesn't believe it. So, yeah, I mean, the atmosphere in particular is what kind of sets the show apart look-wise, for sure. I think something that adds to that too is like just the set design of the office and how it's it's very timeless with like you have this really advanced technology with something that can sever your brain paired with this office that is still using like 1990s computers and exactly. has like floppy disks and like all of that stuff I think really helps too and it's so bland but it's it's a very bland set design but it's still a fascinating set design like it, it might be my like favorite design I've seen all year too in a show just I don't know how they did it because it's not a very exciting place to work. But as a viewer, it's still like so interesting to explore more of the office and see all the old shit they're stuck with. Then the whole 90s, like you said, floppy disk and all that, that definitely builds some questions in what they're doing. And then going back to the atmosphere like of their Audi lives, I don't know if it would feel the same if they were living like in a like California sunny kind of no, setting. It has to be sad and dreary to work I yeah think. you have to have enough of like a enough of a hard existence that you want to cut off half of your life for sure it wouldn't be the same show if, if their outies were like chilling on the beach somewhere <laughs> <laughs> exactly so we talked about some of the you know performers earlier but let's talk about our mdr gang so what you guys think of these four characters both any and Audi? lots to talk about here a character that really grew on me throughout the show was dylan in the first few episodes, I was like, oh, this this character like just exists to be like, look at my finger trap, motherfucker, and like that's really it. It seems like that's kind of all there is to the character. He just seemed like comedic relief for the audience. Exactly. And like by the end of the show, I was I really cared about Dylan, and I was rooting for him, and he kind of has an arc where he becomes a little bit more self-sacrificing for the team, and yeah. really enjoyed the character of Dylan by the time the credits wrapped on season one. I love Dylan. Like He cracked me up so much, <laughs> especially when... uh. When Bert comes in, Christopher Walken comes in, he's like, get the fuck out of here, you <laughs> old fucking man, or something like that. <laughs> with that, though, too, Keith, I, I like that there is, like, there's, like, own little lore and history within the office of, like, maybe at one point they might have been killed by the office designers, or, like, there was a revolt. Like, there's this weird history and, like, legends that exist, too. It's there's so literal weird. alternate paintings of a civil war that broke out between MDR and optics and design. <laughs> And then Optics and Design has one painting where they're in defense. And then MDR has a painting where they're the ones in defense. And it's like, what the hell is going on in this office? This is insane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So just talking about this group of four, what a, what a great group of characters to follow. Uh, some amazing actors. I mean, watching Adam Scott as kind of our POV character, both as Audi and Innie, watching him go in and you feel bad for him. And it's like... You always expect him to remember things, but then it's like, oh, I guess he doesn't. And then Heli kind of becomes very quickly our new POV character, which is also weird because like we never fully got used to the office while Mark was going through it. So it's like, oh, I guess we're just meeting Heli now and now he's teaching her. And it's just such a weird thing. And then you have John Turturro, a legend who just happens to also work there. And it's like, it makes it even more weird that he's the one playing the character and he's just, of course, the stickler for the rules. And then, like you guys both said, you have Zach Cherry as Dylan, who's just, you know, there to make jokes and it's so good. But yeah, what a, a group of four that seemingly didn't really care about each other. And I, as the audience member, didn't really 
particularly care about like their relationships and interpersonal relationships at the beginning. And then by the end, it's like they'll die for each other. <laughs> you believe it. And it's, it's pretty cool. So, yeah, really love this group of characters. What do you guys think of like just the weird ass perks that there are for the employees? Like it's the most mundane reward that Dylan is, of course, excited about, like finger traps or a punch party where it's, it's just enough punch for you to get one glass. There's no refills. Maybe you'll get a watermelon party. Maybe you'll get a second round of coffee in the morning, like just all this weird stuff for the employees to strive for. Yeah, that's how it felt to me. It's just like they, Ben Stiller, Ethan McArdle, and just like the writing team, they thought of what are like the dumbest things if somebody handed to you, you would be like, what the fuck? <laughs> like <laughs> a finger trap and like stuff like that, like stuff that you just do not care at all about. And they were like, they don't know any better. So it's like if somebody came up to you and you had no memories of anything, like, Hey, man, great job. Here you go. Here's your prize. You'd be like, oh, thanks. And that's how it feels. They just have drawers full of these random like knickknacks they are told are prizes. So it just kind of stinks of what I said earlier. It's just that, you know, the Egan's and Lumen can put themselves on some high pedestal of that, like they're doing a great thing. But in reality, how they treat their workers, it's just, I mean, what I just said there, like really, as I said, it kind of made me go, yeah, it's just like Amazon, basically. It's like you can have people like Jeff Bezos on top of the world, but then you hear stories every single day about how terribly like Amazon employees are treated. So it's just, yeah, it's exactly that. It's just, yeah, you know, we're doing a great thing, you know, legalize severance. But then you look at the workers and they're being treated like shit. They're just like all crowded in a room. There's no space. They're just forced to work back to back. And their prize for doing a good job for a quarter is a finger trap. <laughs> so, and because you're right, they don't know any better. So why not just give them this stuff? Because who cares? Any theories about what the Lumen's employees' jobs actually might be, like what they're actually working on? I don't really have anything yet, but thinking back to what you said at the beginning, Austin, this was something that I thought we might get a little bit more insight into like by the end of the finale. But at least from what I caught, I feel like we still don't really know what they're doing. And it turns out there's a lot more divisions on the severed floor than we realized. So somehow all of these weird roles with the MDR and optics and design and somebody that's just like messing around with goats for some reason, like they, they tie together somehow. But yeah, I don't have any theories and we didn't really get any answers. So what do you guys think? My theory is that the actual day-to-day tasks that the severed employees are doing are meaningless. They don't mean anything. But the actual product for Lumen is the chips, and they're testing it on all these people to fine-tune it so they can sell it as a mass-market product. That's a great theory. That's kind of what it seems like. They, they talked about chips a lot in the finale. They even had like the Egan that's running the company currently. That's all he really talked about with Heli, just like the idea of the chips. So I think you're probably onto something there. It seems like that's all that matters. Like They're just constantly testing, whether it's like the Egan's are testing how severance work, or you have Cobell that's testing how reintegration works or if it can really happen. Like, that's all that matters. It doesn't matter what the people are doing while they're at work. <laughs> but And the board's very concerned about acknowledging reintegration. So uh, for me, I, I think all these tasks are meaningless and that several employees have just, they're just there to, for trials. That's kind of my theory too, Austin. Just, but I think you took it a step further, which I liked that theory better. You said it's, it's more to, to sell the, uh, the chips. My, my original theory was just that it's just human testing. Like they're just, making them do these dumb tasks, like look for scary numbers in these code patterns or whatever. It's just all human testing, but in unethical ways, but they can do it. They can get away with it because their memory is wiped. So my further question to you guys is everything we just said 
in regards to what the separate employees are doing is super fascinating to me. Like, and I agree with you. I think you're right, Austin. Like you've said, I think there's no real meaning to what anybody's doing on the separate floor. But it begs the question, what are the people in power hoping to get from it? Like, you talk about these chips that we learned about in the finale, especially. What do they get from putting chips in everybody? Like, what does that actually do for them? Is there anything super sinister? What did you guys kind of get from that? What do you theorize there? I think with with this company and the way they have all these like religious undertones and stuff like that with the company lore, I think a big thing for Lumen and maybe the Egans is control because they still have control over these trips. They can switch them on and off at a whim. So I think it's a it's probably money and then it's probably control. It just makes me wonder about the the employees there that are not severed, like Mr. Milchick and Cobell. How much do they know? I mean, are they all in on it? Sounds like they're not. For the most part, it sounds like they're pretty. They're probably just getting paid handsomely to do what they do, and but the board is the ones that are really in charge. And they're probably so far in now, and they know too much that they have to see this through because they're culpable for all the crimes that they've committed as Lumen employees. I think they're bought into the religious stuff, though. Like Cobell has that shrine in her house too. I was gonna say I don't know about Milchek. He might just be like a dedicated employee, but Cobell for sure. She clearly believes in the teachings of Kier because of her basement shrine. So it seems like that was her issue. Like it seemed like at times she kind of understood Mark and was like, okay, I get what he's doing. But I guess like maybe her beliefs kept her from, I don't know, letting him reintegrate. I, I don't know what her goals are, but maybe that's like the perfect time, guys. I mean, I would say, yes, you have people really scary like the Egans that are higher up that we didn't really see too much this season. So because of that, I would say our villains, or if you want to call them antagonists of the show, is obviously Patricia Arquette as, you know, Cobell slash Selvig, the creepy next door neighbor. And then you have uh, Trammell Tillman as the incredibly underrated, so good and equally scary uh, Mr. Milchek. So what do you guys think of these characters? Well, I mean, that goes along with another theory is like, why is Selvig Mark's next door neighbor? If 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 Lumen's just a place where they go to work and there's and you know they're severed and everything's all good and dandy, are these four or more than maybe more than them being targeted specifically? I think it plays into my theory of of them wanting to test these chips under all situations. I think Cobell lives next to Mark, so she can keep an eye on his Audi and see if anything happens with him reintegrating or if he has any issues or or if he can remember the workday. I think it's just little, it just feeds back to also Lubin wanted control. Not only do they want control of the Innies, they also want to be able to control aspects of the Audi's life too and making sure they're not a danger to the company. But the thing is, why Mark? Because Cobell is clearly pretty high up in this organization, so she could be watching anybody. So that kept me asking myself, so why is, you know, Mark S so important? And then I was like, okay, so yeah, you know, his wife died and then they revealed to us that you know, he was married to the Audi of Mrs. Casey. And I was like, well, what the hell? What a twist. That's crazy. But then I was like, well, hold on. That doesn't really add up time-wise because she died and like her dying is the reason he became severed. It wasn't, he didn't sever until after she died. So when did, you know, Cobell get involved? I don't think where Mark lives is like the house that him and his wife had together. I think he's just, I think it's just the housing development that he lives in. Yeah, uh, sure. That that makes sense. But regardless, like his wife, let's just say this then, like event wise, his wife died. He grieved, decided to sever. And then he started to work at Lumen. 
And so what happened there? Because there's there's an important block of time that we don't know about because Gemma, you know, a.k.a. Mrs. Casey, almost dies. Somehow Lumen saves her and I guess revives her inside the severed floor. Is it a coincidence that Mark then decides to sever and work there? And is that something that Cobell saw? Like, holy shit, we happened to save Mrs. Casey, his wife. And now because of the grief, he's severed and he works here. This is my perfect coincidental opportunity to test reintegration. We have two people on the severed floor as Audis, our husband and wife. Will they know, recognize, or have any emotional connection to each other while they're severed? Like, was that all a coincidence? Is it somehow a plan? Like, did Cobell plan, like, Gemma to, to die? Like, did they cause the accident? I don't know. There's a, there's a big, interesting block of time that we don't know about that kind of informs that character that I'm curious about. I think you could be on to something in the fact that maybe there's nothing like special about Mark, but it's just the opportunity Cobell saw of right. we have these two here. So she decided to become invested in that. And then going into Heli. So we find out that Heli is high up. She's the daughter of the CEO. Yeah. Yes, she's the that's family. Right. Yeah. What's with that? Why is, is Cobell, has Cobell been following her this whole time and we just haven't known it? I don't think any of them are following her. I think Heli's very different because she's the daughter of an Egan who chose to get severed. And she kind of talks about how she wanted to do it because of her family. I, I think her Audi is super bought in to Lumen and seems like she is because she was going to be speaking at a rally for um, for being severed. She was the severed story. for the, She's like the poster child for being severed. So I think she expected her any to have the same values as her Audi and just be really bought into being severed. And I think everyone was surprised when she started rebelling as much as she did. Yeah, it was so creepy that whenever she tries to commit suicide and you know that her Audi's now been in the hospital for three days and then she writes some note saying like, do something like that again and you'll, and you'll regret it or something. Yeah, that was one of the most interesting parts of this season for me was the interaction specifically with Heli between her Innie and her Audi because it was so antagonistic and it's the same person yeah and then conversely you have somebody like bert who retires and it, it's almost like a ha 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 you know what a great day finally retiring buddy congrats it's like huh it's, it's so weird to see like the, the they roll up like the tvs that we had in like junior high <laughs> whenever like a substitute was in and then it just like <laughs> looks like shit and really grainy and then you just see like your own face pop up like Hey, how's it going? You know, fuck you. <laughs> like, it's like, what? <laughs> so, so weird. I've really enjoyed working with you all, but I'm realizing I don't really know any of you either. <laughs> Classic. It's like, okay. <laughs> and then everybody's like weirdly clapping. <laughs> I, I felt like Bert was, Bert's innie was way too happy in that moment. You smug motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the thing I liked about Heli is like, yeah, whenever they reveal that she's an Egan, it's like, oh, okay, that explains why Cobell and Milchek have like no hold over the Audi. It's just a fucking PR stunt. Well, and why the Audi is so aggressive back towards the Indy. And that's what I loved it in the finale, just seeing them like walk through like the gallery of photos and Heli, the Innie looks so happy. It's like, oh my God, they just like set this up. So being severed looks so great just so they can legalize it. So crazy. I did, I did, I had no idea what they were gonna do with that character. I, like after like this like the finale aired, I looked at and like everybody was like, 
oh my god, everybody that predicted that Heli was an Egan, you guys fucking called it. I was like, oh wow, I'm, I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see that. I would have never thought that. <laughs> what What do you think about her? Any actually getting some comments out on that stage in the finale of like it sucks down there. We're being tortured. I'm excited about it because she, I feel like she got enough out to start something. Not enough to maybe do anything like long term good, but I think enough was said that something will come of it. I think it's important to remember though that they're in a room of pro severed people having a rally so it might just get swept under the rug but i mean there was like newspaper reports of the senator dude like talking about legalizing severance and like interviews with him so you would have to imagine that this was being filmed so hopefully it gets out and maybe it starts like some type of rally from people that don't believe in severance i don't know yeah it makes you what what's going to happen to her audi because now she's about to flash back to being on stage and she can't be like oh just kidding Just to circle back to the Miss Casey twist, it seems like Miss Casey just never leaves the building because they say send her back to testing and she goes down. So I guess she's just permanently in any and it's maybe kept like in a coma or something because she says she's only awake for those 30 minute sessions. There's a, I have so many questions with Miss Casey, a lot more than I thought I would when this character first got introduced. Well, I'm sure my friend Keith has even more questions about Miss Casey. Keith, take it away. I have many questions about Miss Casey. <laughs> now that I found out that I missed a really big plot point. <laughs> well, let me just say it because I only told you guys and not the listeners. So whenever Mark yelled, she's alive. I did, oh! not, I did not know that he was talking about Miss or his wife, Miss Casey. Because I, whenever it showed the, the photos of his wife, I just didn't catch that that was her. Only my friend Keith could miss one of the biggest reveals in the show and, and then not be confused for the remaining two episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I really thought it was. <laughs> and it's funny enough, as soon as I realized, I was like, oh, it kind of like immediately filled everything in. But um, as far as Miss Casey goes, yeah, I'm with you guys. I mean, how is that going to work? Is she going to, now that Mark has found out who she is in as an any, how are they going to uh, warn her or warn his, or warn his any that that's who she is? And it's also that weird element of like, I mean, I think Mark as an Audi and an innie is a good guy. So whenever he finds out that his Audi's wife, who is presumed deceased, is somebody that he knows in Lumen, I think his innie is going to do everything he can to save her. But still, it is that weird dynamic of like, he's clearly all in on Heli. And now it's like, I got to save this person because she's my wife. Like, there's going to be some interesting drama there that I'm excited to see. But you're right, like, I don't know what they do, because like you said, Austin, I mean, they very clearly stated that this person died in real life. Somehow, Lumen, I guess, brought her back to life to a point where she can serve on the severed floor for a certain amount of time. And she's been there for a while. And she, I think, like you said, she's only in 30-minute sessions. I think a total 80 hours is, like, her entire lifespan. Like, that's all she knows. And she's like, and the greatest part of that was, you know, wandering around looking for you guys and spending that day with MDR was the best, you know, time of my life. And then she goes down. So I'm, I'm kind of with you. It seems like she's like serving her time, her role. And then other than that, they must be putting her like body. It seems like she's a prisoner. Yeah, she's like a prisoner and they're probably putting her into a coma because like her body is like dying. So they have to preserve it somehow. But then that kind of also ties into the element of why are they preserving her? It seems like it ties back into Kobol. Like, do they need to? Because to me, it always felt like they were trying to prove 
that there was going to be some type of any connection with Casey and Mark. Oh, and Milchek is like pointing out, you know, this is a good thing that they don't know each other, right? And Cobell seems pissed and she's like, send her back down to testing. She weirdly, despite being an antagonist, she kind of at times seems to genuinely care. Here's what I was talking about. <laughs> my mom and I talked earlier because she watched the finale and we talked and I was like, you know what's weird is it seems like Cobell doesn't care about any of her employees, but for some reason she genuinely cares about Mark's Audi, not the innie. She cares about his Audi, and she cares not about Miss Casey, but she cares about Miss Casey's Audi. Like, that relationship that those Audis had, for some reason, it seems like she kind of wants the innies to recognize each other. And she got in trouble for being involved with the sister. So Lumen didn't want her being involved in the Audi's life either. So there's something about that family that she's trying to prove. Tr- I don't know. That, like, I don't know. But there's something to her that she cares about that, and I, I'm not fully sure why yet and she encourages mark's audi to leave when he says i'm thinking about leaving she's weirdly like that's incredible you do that it's like why would she say that (laughs) it's not until the finale where she finds out oh he somehow woke himself up his innie is here that she decides to you know kind of go all out and be a villain again so there is something to her i don't know what it is but there's something to that character that like at times she seems to want to do the right thing but I don't know. It's it's a weird case. So before we start wrapping up here, there is a, one big plot point we haven't really touched on yet, and that's the character of Petey and his reintegration, and then also this like pseudo-rebellion that's happening in the public against Severance. What do you guys think about all this? I, for me, I think this is kind of something they got away from, especially in the second half of the season. Like They didn't really resolve it. It gets introduced and goes away very quickly, but what do you guys think about all this stuff? It definitely raises more questions of how the reintegration works. How many of those memories from yourself as an any are you getting back? Obviously, we see from Petey, he has like the sickness and these flashes and he can't, it's almost like information like overload. He's like, he's like, he's overheated. And you kind of alluded to it at the beginning, Keith, but I actually think my favorite example of, it's not technically a reintegration because this person hasn't reintegrated, but you can see hints of it is actually with Irving. I love seeing in the early episodes, as an any, like you said, he's just like constantly falling asleep and he's seeing this black goo kind of infect his workspace. And it's like, what the hell is Which going on? I guess it's on? his paint. It's his paint. Yeah, I was going to say. And then when we see his Audi, he's this, he, ha- he should have no idea, like this creepy break room elevator that he's painting, like this haunting image that sticks with him. But it does. And it's all he paints. Like, in in the eighth episode, never like you just see him squeeze like that paint tube, and it just like is the black goo like piling on top of each other. I was like, oh, what an image! They did a close up on it, and I was like, wow, because that was for me like that. Seeing that was so cool because I actually thought that in the finale, I liked Irving's story um, with like going to find Bert, but I think the more kind of underrated and important part of that story was he was kind of the follow up. Um, he was like the proxy follow-up for the PD storyline with the reintegration. It's like, oh, we're seeing somebody that's still severed, but we can see how their any and their Audi lives are directly impacting each other, which is super interesting and scary and just a combination of a whole bunch of feelings. And if you think about Irving's any, he's such a stickler for the rules and bought into the Kier stuff that the break room would be the scariest place for him because it would mean he did something bad enough to go against Kier. There's also a weird element in the finale where he like looks in like a personal chest of his and he's clearly in 
an army man and his family was. But then he looks under that and he and there's like documents of severance related activities. So it seems like for whatever reason, Irving's Audi is kind of keeping track of and logging a bunch of severance related activities. And that kind of begs the question, why? So something to think about as well, because the implication is, if I recall in the beginning, Irving, he severed way before everybody else. He was in a different department, and then he came to MDR semi-recently. So he's been severed for a long time, I think. And maybe he's been keeping track of that for a long time. Who knows why? I like seeing his Innie meet his dog for the first time. Very That was cool. a good scene. Fun little Easter egg of Miss Casey in their uh, session saying, Your Audi likes the sound of radar. And then it turns out that his Audi's dog's name is Radar. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's kind of cool. And then going back to Petey, you know, I want to know how much Petey told his family. It seems like they kind of know probably a lot more than they're leading on for what we saw at the funeral. It also, I think, is kind of in a very smart way because I actually kind of agree with you guys. I think, I don't know if I would call it a negative, maybe a slight negative, that it really did feel like a separated season in the sense that the first half really heavily dealt with like, Mark, I'm a guy that works with Lumen and then my Audi finds this guy that I used to work with as an innie. And it's like, ooh, interesting drama. And then that really is dropped, I would say, at the halfway point. Conversely, it kind of feels like a dark, interesting setup to the future. I mean, think about Bert, for example. I mean, is the implication that somehow that relationship goes sour and then he starts to deteriorate? I don't know, because I don't fully understand how it works yet either. But the idea of somebody being able to get away from this severance a project and just lumen in general, but then you're going to die anyway because you're like any life starts to collide with your Audi and you, your mind can't take it and then you die like Petey. It's it's pretty fucked up. So I, I am curious about where that will go, even though they dropped the Petey storyline pretty early. I hope I never have to see that band perform again. That song was terrible. That was bad. That was bad. All right. So now that season one is done, we know that we are only a year or so away from Severance season two. Please, God, don't make it more than that. But do we think the finale did a good job of answering some questions while setting up more for the follow-up season? We've talked a lot about that already, um, but I want to know, what are you guys looking forward to, and what do you think we'll see in season two as well? I'm glad they resolved like some of the smaller questions around like who Helly and Dylan and Irving's Audis are outside the workplace, or what would it be like if, if they were actually able to turn themselves back on out in the outside world? But I'm really glad they didn't answer like any of the big questions about like what's Lumen doing and then all that sort of stuff. That's the stuff I'm super excited to see in season two. Yeah, I'm just excited to see how things shake out from what we just saw. I mean, as far as Heli up on the podium, once her Audi snaps back, is Dylan just, is just going to cut to Dylan like sipping like four cups of coffee and just like doesn't doesn't care what even happened to him or or is he going to be thrown into the break room forever and then as far as what is Devin going to do is she going to go report Lumen to the police or 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 go to Lumen and file a complaint so yeah I'm just I just want to see this first episode of the new season come out already so we can see how it all shakes out yeah I think one of my favorite things about the season because they didn't need to include it. Um, but the fact that they did was important because they showed that Devin is a character with agency. And I loved that basically the implication is just Mark wakes up as an innie in the finale. And within the span of maybe two minutes, she's like, oh, I'm talking to your innie right now. 
that's crazy, but oh shit, what can I do to help you? So like the idea of him finding a picture frame of his Audi and his wife at the wedding and the wife is Mrs. Casey and then he runs out and it's like, she's alive and then drops the picture frame. It doesn't matter that he transitioned back to his Audi. Like Devin is a character that they've proved. We'll see like, oh, he just screamed to everybody. She's alive. And he was holding this picture. Okay. I just talked to his innie. Clearly something's going at Lumen. I guess Gemma, who they set up as her friend too, is alive. I got to look into it. So I feel like her storyline in season two is going to be kind of like an investigator, basically. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Will Milchek dance again in season two? I hope so. I don't know. How could he dance again? He's, he's like so angry at these people. <laughs> I wonder if we'll do like a Scrubs season 10 thing where we get like a whole new team introduced to us. No, I don't think so. I, I thought you were going to say, will we get like a random classic follow-up season episode that focuses on Milchek's personal life? And the answer is 100% yes. We will find out more about him. I hope so. That mustache like can't ever quit. <laughs> oh my god guys how do we not talk about rickon one of my favorite payoffs was watching any mark wake up sit down and randomly go oh my god my god is here <laughs> he basically got to talk to his god and that was like a crazy scene i loved it i think rickon might play a role in season two beyond comic relief like i think somehow his hold, like even in a weird way to say, like spiritually over the innies might play into season two. Like maybe his outlook on life will help them because it did. I mean, that's what I loved about it. It's like inadvertently he wrote this shitty, shitty book. And then these innies, like we said already, that don't know better, they read it and it inspired them to kind of revolt. I thought that was so cool. It was so perfect. And it's the only thing they've read that isn't like corporate, like written text. Yeah, so cool. All right, guys. So you have waffle parties. You have egg socials. We also, as the Arnies, like to give out a podcast award. Guys, what you got for me? What are we going to praise today? Well, I don't know how Matt does it, but without fail, every time I get excited when I realize we haven't talked about a character like Rickon yet, I'm like, this is perfect. I have an award for this character. Sorry. Without fail, Matt always manages to bring up Rickon and steal my thunder. So my award is going to the one and only man, Rickon. And it's um, who let this guy become a parent award? Because the child he raises is going to be a monster. That's fair. <laughs> I'm excited for the child's book, though. Might help the next wave of uh, separate people. <laughs> uh, I guess my award is also kind of has to do with parenting. And that's the creepy nanny award. And that goes, that goes to uh, Mrs. Selvig. The ultimate um, breastfeeding coach as well. I didn't like that. Yeah, that was a weird scene. <laughs> All right, I thought long and hard about this one, and I don't know, guys. After nine episodes, we got so used to seeing the outsides of uh, the office. We saw people walking through, just casually hanging out in the hallways of the severed floor of Lumen. It wasn't until the finale when I saw Milchek just hastily speed walking through the hallways, and I was like, oh my gosh, I have to give the hastiest mustache award. That guy was moving with purpose. His mustache has never looked better. I liked how when he was like running full speed down the hallways, he had to come to a complete stop to make those turns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh, where am I? <laughs> All 
All right. Well, with that, thank you, everybody, so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit that follow button so you never miss our upcoming content. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing this with a friend, we really would appreciate that so we continue to grow the show. Please leave us reviews as well. Even if you want to write anything, leaving us a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you ever get your podcasts it really does help us out. At The Arnie's is our social, and thearnies.media is the website. We'll be back next Tuesday for another episode. And if you want to hear our thoughts on the Jared Leto-led Morbius, well, that's what we did last week. It's the worst movie of the year. Intriguing. Do not go see it. But if you want to not see it and hear our thoughts, just be sure to go check that episode out. Yeah, don't see it. Just listen to our thoughts. (laughs) And lastly, we want to hear from you. So please send us a message on Instagram at the Arnie's or email us thearniesmedia at gmail.com. What did you think of Severance? Do you think Dylan will ever get his koozie? Anything you say, we'll read on the show and react to it live on our latest episode. That's right. Submit your thoughts, everybody. We'll see you next week. Have a great rest of your week. And with that, I guess all there's left to say is. Praise Kier. Can't wait for my waffle party. You smug motherfucker.